Welcome to The Threat Show, powered by Fletch. Hi, welcome to The Threat Show. I'm Darian Kimlin, VP of Technology here at Fletch, and my usual co-host, Chris Wilder, is on travel this week, but will be returning in subsequent episodes. Instead of a guest speaker this week, we decided to answer some questions that have been asked from you, our audience, which we'll actually tackle later on in the show. But first, let's check in on the threat landscape and do the numbers. So this week, it's actually been a little bit of a surprise. We've seen a regular downtrend in the threat landscape over the past roughly 30 days, got uh, around 207 major threats. You know, a lot of people ask, well, why is this? Is, does this mean that there's no major threats going on right now? No, that's not what that means. If we look at more details behind this number, we see that actually there's just a lot more threats that we've been tracking historically that have been kind of retired or gone inactive, meaning we haven't really seen any new activity on these topics in the past 30 days. So roughly 25 have been kind of marked inactive. Does that mean we'll never see them again? Unlikely. It's likely some of these topics will come back up. Some of these major threats will come back up as new information or analysis or activity associated with these threats changes over time. But for now, we see a healthy amount of activity just within the subset of threats that are still active. We see that nine have you know, kind of evolved from emerging to trending and another nine have gone mainstream, meaning at least four different media outlets have covered them. Overall, it seems like the activity that we've seen this week kind of tracks with previous weeks. It remains to be seen whether or not we'll, we'll see another downtrend in the next couple of, of weeks as the first quarter kind of ages out. But let's go on to look at what were the, the major or interesting threats of this past week. Turns out we have a number of different zero-day vulnerabilities reported across Microsoft products, Adobe, heck, even SonicWall has, has reported a number of different breaches and malware related to their platform. And then CISA has given us a little bit more insight about the LastPass hack that we had reported on a couple of weeks back. The first one on our list is actually a vulnerability discovered recently tied to the Russia-Ukrainian conflict. Microsoft originally has uncovered a vulnerability related to Microsoft Outlook that has been used since April of 2022 by Russian threat actors going after Ukrainian targets. And you might be wondering, well, how does this affect me? What, what's the implication outside of that particular conflict? It turns out it's still pretty serious. And the reason why is because this particular threat group, APD28, has been known to go after other targets beyond just Ukrainian government organizations or military organizations. In this particular case, the vulnerability is actually pretty insidious. The way it works is that it's only going after Outlook for Windows users. So if you're running Outlook on Mac or Outlook on Android or Outlook on iOS, this vulnerability does not apply to you. What's really insidious about it, though, is if a threat actor decides to send a weaponized email containing a link that points to not a website, but rather to a remote Samba server on the internet. Like, who runs Samba servers directly connected to the internet? 
it's it's you know mind-boggling but in any case the way outlook for windows works is that when it processes that email it actually attempts to fetch information for remote links to a remote samba server and if that link is password protected then password protected then outlook for windows will diligently present the user's Windows credentials to that remote Samba server to try to access that content. So by simply viewing the email, not actually clicking on anything, the victim inadvertently gives their Windows credentials over to the attacker. Now, the implication then is that the attacker can use those credentials, pretend to be the victim, and go after other infrastructure inside the Windows domain. It's pretty serious. Thankfully, a patch is available. If you are impacted by this, you absolutely want to patch quickly. If you can't for whatever reason, you might want to convince your users to switch from their native Outlook client on Windows to the web version of that software because Outlook on the web or Microsoft 365, if it was offered through a browser, is not impacted by this. It, again, it only pertains to the traditional Outlook thick client running on Windows. If that's not possible, you can try to deploy a firewall rule on an endpoint that blocks all outbound Samba connections to any remote system on the internet. That certainly is another mitigation. But again, applying the patch is really the best path forward. You can kind of look for evidence of this. If you do have any sort of DLP solution in place, you could try to look for any sort of emails that contain these oddball Samba links, but you know that shouldn't stop you from at least deploying the patch right away. Chances are now that this vulnerability is known, it's only a matter of time before other threat groups <laughs> mimic and replicate this vulnerability going after other targets outside of this particular geopolitical conflict. And if that was not the only zero day, you know, maybe things would be okay. But unfortunately, there's at least one other zero day tied to Microsoft platforms. In this particular case, it's actually going after Windows clients directly, no other software needed. The way that this vulnerability works is if an attacker were to convince a user to open up a executable. And in this case, it's an MSI file. Normally what Windows does is if it sees that there's a file that the user's trying to open up that was downloaded from the internet, it would present a pop-up saying, hey, this is an untrusted file. Are you sure you want to continue? But somehow attackers found a way to bypass that prompt known as the mark of the web mechanism. And in this particular case, if the MSI file was actually assigned by a specific type of Authenticode cert, then the mark of the web prompt that I mentioned would not be presented, allowing the user to just literally get compromised by a single double click on a file, which is bad. And in fact, this is a technique that has been known to be used by a at least one ransomware group called McGibner, it's likely that other ransomware groups will leverage the same vulnerability once they start to see the success of, of this particular vulnerability rise. 
So obviously your your best approach here is to just patch and educate your users not to be clicking on any random files they see on the internet. Moving on, the next vulnerability reported, which was an, another zero day is from Adobe. Specifically, if you're using Adobe Cold Fusion to do any sort of content hosting on the internet, you definitely wanna pay attention. This is a pretty serious one where an attacker can simply compromise the ColdFusion server, running any arbitrary code without any authentication needed. And this affects ColdFusion version, versions 2021 to 2018. It's pretty serious. Now, Adobe's claiming that the number of attacks that they've discovered is very limited. You've got to take this with a little bit of a grain of salt, right? When a vendor says, hey, this vulnerability has only been seen in a handful of scenarios. There's really one of two possibilities here. Either that vendor has complete visibility over the entire threat landscape and is confident in saying it's really only limited to a handful of, of victims, or they don't have complete visibility over the entire landscape. And they're just saying, hey, of the knowledge that we know about, we've only seen this vulnerability being used a handful of times. More than likely it's the latter. So just because it's very limited in terms of its exposure does not mean that it will forever be very limited. It's possible that now that this vulnerability is made public, other attackers will leverage it, use it, and start going after other victims outside of this initial set. So for that reason, you absolutely should be patching this right away. There's a very good chance if, you're, if your vulnerable cold fusion server has not been compromised yet, it probably will be in the next uh, probably couple of weeks to months with this knowledge now out. Next on our list is actually a repeat or <laughs> the next chapter, I should say, in the long running LastPass breach saga. If you recall a couple of weeks back, we talked how one of four DevOps engineers was personally targeted. And what I mean by that is the attacker didn't go after this employee through their work account or work computer or work infrastructure. Instead, the attacker went after this DevOps engineer personally, compromising their personal equipment. And one of the things that the attacker compromised at the time was a media server that the DevOps engineer stood up to host, you know, recorded videos locally. It's pretty popular. More details about that emerged where the actual vendor was Plex. Apparently there's a known vulnerability within the Plex media platform where the attacker could simply get arbitrary code execution running and allow the attacker to be able to install a keylogger on the user's personal computer, which then allowed the attacker to get access to, remember, the keys to the kingdom within LastPass's infrastructure because the victim decided to access their work infrastructure from a personal computer. While this might be a surprise to many, there are many environments where maybe this is allowed for whatever reason. Regardless, if you're using Plex in a corporate setting, you definitely want to patch it. If you're not, you still want to educate your employees, hey, if you use Plex at home, you definitely want to patch this because this is a real world attack vector that has been proven to be successful 
and it's likely to be mimicked and replicated by other attackers in the future. Last but not least, let's talk about SonicWall. They've actually been working in conjunction with Mandiant threat researchers to uncover a pretty insidious campaign by at least one Chinese threat group that Mandiant's calling UNC4540, going after endpoint or edge SonicWall VPN devices. If you recall, Chinese threat groups love to go after edge network devices, specifically, you know, VPN concentrators or endpoints deployed at small home offices that maybe give employees, maybe one or two employees access to internal infrastructure behind a VPN. And this seems to be their MO that's been tracking for the past, gosh, one to two months now, if not longer. And you might be wondering why that is the case. Well, it's because these devices, because they're remotely deployed in small home offices are generally not administered or upgraded centrally, which means that they're ripe for compromise just because they haven't been patched regularly. And that's exactly what happened in this case. So in fact, the victim had a SonicWall secure mobile access appliance deployed. It was not properly patched, not kept up to date. And so it was very easy for this Chinese threat group to use one of three possible vulnerabilities to get access to compromise the SMA device, which then allowed the attacker to load up their own custom malware on the appliance and then proceed to use that appliance to gain further access to sensitive information going across the network within the VPN, which is not ideal. The other interesting thing about this is that the attacker actually added in a persistence layer, which meant if you tried to patch the appliance after it's been compromised, patching it wouldn't necessarily remove the malware because the malware is able to reinstantiate itself and remain persistent on the appliance after the fact. So for that reason, not only do you have to patch, you have to kind of wipe or factory reset the appliance and then patch in order to get rid of this insidious vulnerability. And you might be wondering, well, gosh, I don't use SonicWall VPN devices. I don't use Fortinet v VPN devices. Well, chances are if you use any sort of VPN devices from any manufacturer, you're probably going to be a target sooner or later. It's just a matter of time. So the best approach to dealing with this issue strategically is probably to institute a regular patch schedule across all of your appliances, be it directly in some sort of data center or in small home offices. Try to come up with a strategy that works in all of those scenarios. So that kind of covers our threats for the week. Let's go into the next part of our topic, which is questions from the audience. So as you recall, we asked you all to send us your questions. Let us know what you think about our program and what's on your mind by DMing us at The Threat Show. And we got a couple of different responses, which we'll cover in this segment. So the first one was a question about how we measure weekly stats. Do we go Sunday to Sunday, Monday to Monday? And in fact, we actually capture stats Wednesday to Wednesday, because when we produce the recordings of, of this show, we record on Thursdays. 
and then go live Fridays over the weekend. So that gives us the most up-to-date information about the latest trends for the week. It also helps us capture and report on threats that might have happened over the weekend, which is helpful on rare occasions. Next, someone asked, well, what days of the week are typically worse for threats? And there's a couple of different ways to answer this question, honestly. Most of the time, you know, when, when they say worse for threats, they mean which days of the week do most media outlets, most social media platforms and security research blogs tend to produce most of their findings. Most of the time that happens on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And the main reason why is because it gives defenders an opportunity to act on whatever information is presented in their findings. Maybe it's a new threat group using new tactics, or maybe it's a new zero-day vulnerability discovered. Regardless, by releasing it on a Tuesday, you give teams plenty of time to patch and resolve things during the week. Similarly, on Thursdays, you get at least a day to be able to fix that. Does that mean no bad news is reported on Fridays? No, it actually does happen, rarely. Most of the time, though, they try to coordinate any sort of responsible disclosures midweek to provide teams with enough time to respond and defend. That said, if there's egregious activity going on in the wild, you're generally going to have researchers not sit on it and report it maybe on a Friday or a Saturday or Sunday, which presents a lot of problems for security teams that don't have a 24 by 7 operations. So you end up having to work over that time period to actively defend and protect your organization. Not ideal. Our final question is, hey, does Fletch use ChatGPT? We've certainly heard a lot about AI ML systems in the news. In fact, I think a couple of days ago, OpenAI just announced their new GPT-4 AI, which is pretty impressive. So our answer is yes, Fletch uses a number of different AI ML models, not just ChatGPT, but a number of others to produce and combine uh, the analysis from all of those to present information that's most effective for our audience. And the reason why is because if you look at those AI ML large language models that are announced, a lot of them have been trained on very generic information. They know a lot of knowledge, not a lot of general knowledge, but not so much related to cybersecurity specifically. So our focus is helping train these models to understand core cybersecurity concepts, what a threat means, what a threat actor means, what malware and vulnerabilities mean so that it can produce more accurate information that we can then use and show our audience in this format as well. So hopefully this was helpful. Hopefully this was enlightening. If you have other questions you want to be able to ask us, please DM us at The Threat Show and join us next week when we will be back with our co-host and future guest speakers. Thanks so much for your time, and I'll look forward to talking with you then. Take care. Thank you for tuning into The Threat Show. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on YouTube, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and interact with us on Twitter at The Threat Show. Also, be sure to subscribe to Fletch's interactive newsletter and Trending Threats app to go deeper into the stories we discuss and The Threat Index. Be sure to stay tuned to stay ahead of threats.